Well, I'm delighted then that I'm um, among people who um, don't necessarily have to have ease. <laughs> so I truly know I'm not um, in Los Angeles anymore um, because there are old buildings remaining, right? Um, they tear everything down in Los Angeles, and I'm not actually being hyperbolic. Um, they, they really are radical in their uh, destruction of, of history in Los Angeles. So it's so lovely to, to be here and to see these beautiful old buildings. Um, also, um, I'm, this is story. This, do we know what that is? Oh, oh, sorry. No, 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 it's okay. Sorry. <laughs> Um, this is one of the few stories I was just telling Ilya um, these are stories embedded in a longer ongoing narrative and don't ask me what it is um, I just hope it works <laughs> you know? um, and I was very grateful that the editor said we'll just call it fiction you know so um, but I thought I'd read this particular story uh, this story is a little like tapioca you either really love it or you really hate it. So I, I find that nobody's agnostic about tapioca, you know. Um, so, <laughs> and um, I, think, I think, you know, I think it's self-contained. I don't think you need to know much. Um, there is a reference to George Balanchine's um, serenade, uh, the ballet serenade. I don't, I don't know if you know it. So I'm not going not gonna to explicate it necessarily, but... Um, um, it is a ballet that is truly choreographed for the quarter, the quarter ballet, not necessarily for prima ballerinas. Um, I think this is about fifty pages in, and oddly enough, it primarily takes it does take place in Los Angeles, but then a tremendous amount of it takes place in San Francisco also, <laughs> so, which is where I'm from. So um, I, I, I can't quite bring myself to call myself an Angelino, um, even after 25 years. Dogs. The dogs had always come to her across a room. Their serious eyes in their uplifted faces, their swift slamping tails against her legs. Often she felt bad about herself, dissenting. The elevator didn't go to the top floor, she'd murmur, or not the sharpest tool in the shed. Not painful on the eyes, but no one would linger either. No one, she'd say to herself. And yet she'd be pleased, too, by her ease within anonymity. She was corps de ballet, and no one but her mother could distinguish her out of a lineup, and that was how it was supposed to be how she loved her dancing to be synchronous and precise, one of a dozen elegant arms, one of a dozen pale pink legs in arabesque, a piece of the perfection, but not the perfection itself. But the dogs, they found her, singled her out, as they had now at her parents' party, her party really, hers and Ben's, their engagement. The dogs now swarmed about her ankles and calves, the dogs who had made a difference to her always, their primal affection from somewhere so deep and creatural, it was unassailable, better, purer, more substantial than any human evaluation. She knew her gratitude was outsized, a bit absurd, of course, but she relished it anyway, an appraisal utterly and completely about her, about her heart, not about who her father was or about this house in Hancock Park where she'd grown up, not about the prima ballerina people thought she could have been. She held this appraisal of the dogs close to her, precious. Her canine teachers, she mused, they thought well of her. Against all odds within her world, the dogs came to her, gave her their highest marks. And now Teddy and Victoria, their brisk, efficient, corgi selves, stood at either side of her, the celebration of her engagement in full throttle. And Teddy, very fussed. Teddy growled, and though it could barely be heard above the ebulliently confident laughter of her parents' friends, above the Bill Evans piano being played in the next room, Teddy growled. Later, there would be a toast, her father lifting a glass, hailing the attention of the room, presenting his daughter and her fiancé. Remember little Ben Carmichael, her father would be saying, and now we need to convince him to make a lateral down here to the firm where he should be. 
There would be laughter and hear hears. She and Ben would stand beside the engagement cake with its intricate vining of English ivy, ivy for fidelity, her mother said, the variegated lobed leaves shaped from sugar paste, and here and there stephanotis blossoms, so faithfully recreated she could only tell they were paste because they did not smell of the lovely perfume of stephanotis. But now the three of them, she and the two corgis, stood in the corner of the dining room, gazing out through the opened French doors onto the enclosed courtyard. Everywhere, her parents' friends. Too many sheep, hmm, she said to Teddy, looking down at her, his surprising blue merle coat, at his po poised, avid ears. What are you going to do, Teddy-o? What are you going to do? You can't herd them all into one room. Teddy twisted his thickly furred neck, his imperious muzzle, and looked up at her briefly. He then turned back to this predicament, drunken sheep everywhere. She had watched him wor once work the, in the outside perimeter of one of her parents' parties, both Teddy and Victoria moving in tandem, people slowly and without knowing it being moved from the courtyard up the broad stairs and into the dining room until Teddy had succeeded at containment and her mother had finally looked up, people crushing at her elbows and said, what the hell? Laughing but not amused. Teddy, stop that. Now a server in black pants and white shirt moved sinuously about the room proffering his tray of hors d'oeuvres and then he stood near enough that she could smell him, his peppery scent. Peppery, she allowed, and then she thought, rank, he smells rank. Teddy's growl mounted and Victoria began now too. They were okay with me before, said the server, looking at her, then looking farther down at the dogs. Teddy, Victoria, it's okay, stop it. This man is just trying to make sure we have cheese puffs. They're protective of you, he said, laughing, his hazel eyes a little wide and loose. He was no doubt high on something. And then, she knew, cocaine, which he hadn't smelled for a few years, really, its distinct pharmaceutical smell, and yet his eyes didn't match cocaine. New drugs. God, kn God knows what he was on, but she could barely stand his smell. And she plucked two cheese puffs off his tray, thanked him, and gestured him on. She could act the young woman of privilege if she had to, and yet cowling over her like dark clouds was a formation of ferocious shame. She had meant her hand waving him on to be humorous, to say, move along now, an extension of the dogs, but she knew it appeared cool and instructional. She admired kind people, and the server had been good-natured and obliging earlier, helping to set up the bar, dragging in bags of ice so the party could go full bore when the bartender arrives. He'd then unfolded a bar towel and carefully wrapped his, wiped his hands and then turned to her mother and said, May I? Indicating her linen dress, half zipped up. You're a keeper, her mother had said. Now both Teddy and Victoria's muzzles were pointed up at her, waiting, they knew cheese puffs with their names on them. They were corgis. They're too hot, she said, smelling the toasted sprinkle of Parmesan cheese across the puff pastry tops. You shouldn't be eating them anyway. You're both tubby. Teddy and Victoria turned their attention back to the party, as though dismissive of her comment, as though to say, of course we're tubby. We're born like this. We're corgis. Too smart for your own good, she said down at them and I am too much dog now for mine, she murmured. A few feet away, two men stood in dark business suits, talking quietly, and she could smell both of them, a day's mild sweat beneath strong cologne. She'd known these men since she was a small child, attorneys in her father's firm, partners, and now in the firm a very modest showing of young women associates, but these constantly in flux and gone from the letterhead soon enough. She knew the story that wasn't a story of the young associate who played golf and who at the firm retreat had hit a ball off the tee so disastrously that she'd said loud enough for all to hear, fuck me, and she was gone within a few months. Of course, those things were never the reasons, and yet they were tincture, quiet reservation. These got easily, pervasively on a reputation and moved about unchecked. No performance or CV contained them, countermanded them. She realized she was thinking about something akin to smell, to how smell could work a room. 
She felt the cold tip of Victoria's nose at her ankle. What? She said. Oh. It was Ben, striding toward them, shaking hands as he came, leaning down to plant chaste kisses. He was so dear, she thought, so easy with this show, or at least good at pretending he was, and he'd be at her side soon enough, some funny, breezy comment just for her small ear. Holy cocksucking gotten himmel, he'd whisper in her, his comedic German, Scheiserei, rye, whiskey, rye. Yes, thank you, thank you very much, bring on the rye. And she'd be laughing instantly, freely, happy he was there, finally, her hand tucking beneath his elbow, her cheek against his shoulder, and she could not stand his smell. She'd hold her other hand across her face as though covering her laughter, pretending to behave herself, but she'd be blocking her nose from his scent, willing herself not to gag, her stomach not to twist in revulsion. Teddy and Victoria growled now, almost barking, and moved out into the dining room and against Ben's dark pants. Ben held his hands up. I surrender, looking down at them. He stood three yards away, his eyes imploring her, call these fucking dogs off. And just then the partners turned and held their hands out to Ben, congratulating him, all the dark-suited male arms, and she had a moment to think. She knew what it was. She had taken the pill for ten years since she was fifteen, the wee white pill of contraception that kept her body from telling stories on her, from broadcasting her sex life, the wee white pill that kept her from being punished for this one night, and that night, and oh, that night, too, in Copenhagen, what a colossal mistake he had been. But then, just a year ago, Ben stood in dim light at the foot of the stage entrance stairs, talking quietly to Gus. She'll be down, Gus was saying, and she is one sweet person. And then they both looked up to see her standing on the landing, her face still glistening with sweat, the freezer bag of ice for her left knee dripping in her hand. Who are you talking up now, Gus, she asked, clomping inelegantly down the stairs, her legs exhausted and wobbly. She was halfway down the stairs, and then all the way down, and twisting slightly past them both, and then walking on the street and looking back, it's got to be short for asparagus, Gus. No one named you Augustus 20 years ago. Believe me, you had hippie commune parents who liked their pita smell. Yeah, yeah, he said, laughing. And then, hey, hold up. This here gentleman is here to see you, and, his, and he's been waiting a bit. No, she thought. Please, no. She was corps de ballet, and barely even that now that her knee was blowing. She wasn't who people waited at the artist's entrance to fall all over, their faces bright and nervous above a clutch of flowers. She was a perfectly anonymously sized dancer amid a lake of perfectly anonymously pale pink swans, or she was one of the twenty white veiled velies dancing through the forest in the moonlight, who could possibly have sat forward even in an orchestra seat and picked her out. She could see ahead of her down the sidewalk to Van Ness Avenue and its river of cars. She could see reticulated buses moving along within the river of cars, bright-lit, undulant tubes full of people going home. She had raised her head and looked farther, looked all the way across Van Ness Avenue to the lighted facade of the public library, where just that day a man had picked up a chair and brought it down upon the head of another man. Unprovoked. The news kept saying, police are still trying to determine why a man attacked another man in San Francisco's main library today. But newscasters delivered those words without the inflection of a question. And being the child of an attorney, she understood that reasons didn't really matter all that much. The attack, this extreme physicalization, was the news. And we all walked around with a load of why all of the time. And it wasn't yet news. Most of us wouldn't allow it to be, she thought. We kept ourselves close. We didn't strike out. She had slowly turned back to Gus and to whomever this other man was waiting for her. She was not used to turning without a spot to fix her balance, and so her eyes held to the huge golden dome of City Hall, and then her eyes didn't, and the war memorial opera house loomed beside her. Friend of your father's, 
Gus called down the sidewalk, or the son of a friend of your father's. You never said your daddy was an attorney at law, Gus said as she neared, pronouncing the words with mock respect. You're the child of warmth and security, aren't you? Gus liked this young man who stood in a contemporary suit, the pants too short, the jacket too snug. Gus liked him. Otherwise, Gus would not be talking like this, beckoning her back, teasing her, helping the guy. And this meant something to her that Gus liked him, and she had relaxed. It hadn't changed the fact that she wasn't showered and that she held a dripping bag of ice for her knee. And it hadn't changed the fact that all she wanted was her knee frozen to numbness on the bus and then her great claw-footed bathtub with a book for the rest of the night. What, she had said, what? And her tone was a little drastic, a little catastrophic. My father doesn't really have any friends. Gus laughed. Yeah, well, no matter. They got some sons, and this is one of them, Ben. Ben, Gus said, turning to him. She needs to ice her knee. So whatever you do, make sure she gets that cold laid down. Car, this man named Ben said, I've got one. I'll take you home. Carmichael, that's my dad, Thomas Carmichael. Of course, she knew who Thomas Carmichael was, and now she even knew who this man was, living mostly at his mother's in Santa Rosa, the child from Carmichael's first marriage, the child before the two children of his wealthy dotage in Los Angeles. Ben, wow, hi, she said sincerely, and then they were off, Ben taking the bag of ice from her and walking her down the street to his car, a jeep in the loading zone, its hazards blinking. He pulled the flimsy door open, and after he'd helped her up into the seat, and she'd settled, he leaned in and said, Which knee? His face had been turned toward her, and he smiled, and she could see the dark circles beneath his vibrant eyes, the gentle slump of his cheeks. He smelled of lawyering, long, long days of mental work, the remnants of an expensive cologne, elegant food, exhaustion. She knew this smell, understood it, understood its toll. He needed her. She could see this. She was a kind of homecoming for him, a part of something he'd not lived around as a child other than vicariously. The law firm, its events and parties, its endless supply of tickets to ball games and tennis matches and movie premieres. And maybe he wanted to have been part of that life in Southern California. But maybe he didn't want it either. Maybe he hadn't missed a thing. She hadn't lived around it for years now. She'd become something entirely impractical and far more difficult, a classical ballet dancer. But she understood immediately that he was struggling. What could make all of this work worth it to him? He knew she understood, his tired face looking down at her in the cab of the jeep. Which knee, he asked. I don't want to tangle with Gus. He looks out for you. Larkin Street, right? Russian Hill. And as Ben shifted in and out of second and third gears on the steep San Francisco streets, he asked her questions. How was it to grow up in L.A.? Your father won that case, right? How is he? Of course I went to law school, Ben had sighed, turning the ignition off in front of her apartment building. How else could I tease a little attention from my old man? It's not like I could have chosen the other knee. And so, from that evening forward, which knee became code for where does it hurt or code for get it right or there will be a big to-do. It was getting the right knee to make their parents happy, choosing the knee that garnered the requisite points, or even purposefully getting the wrong knee in order to make a stand. Which knee, meaning which battle are we going to choose here? Which knee, one would say to the other, and they'd crack up laughing. They'd been that instantly close for months and months. The tremendous easefulness of a past that needed no explaining, no defense or criticism, no attention unless they chose to go there. What about getting married? Ben asked, sitting across from her one late night after a performance, a small table that looked out onto Columbus Avenue in North Beach. On a white plate between them floated a rum baba, its candied citron glistening. Both knees, he said to her. With you there's no trauma, no lesser of two evils to choose, no road not taken. You just seem like freedom to me, wide open space. We'll make of it what we will, okay? 
he said, gazing at her across the table in the quiet flicker of candle flame. Okay, he implored. Cool blue moonlight had lit the stage that evening, and the girls, all in gossamer blue gowns, had watched as the waltz girl was carried off atop the shoulders of the few male dancers in serenade. Waltz girl's hair cascaded down her arched back, it, too, glowing in the moonlight, the girls all watching her be carried off, the corps de ballet's ballet, she thought to herself, now at the table, the ballet in which the steps were all quicker, more exciting, everything bigger, the corps allowed to dance, to be individual, but tonight, the piquet turns in circle, the peeling off of each of them, and her knee, the menisci, each time grinding, though she had always been a dancer well turned out from the hip, her body open within its compactness, a perfect dancer for Balanchine, capable of doing everything bigger. But her dancing was almost over, and the x-rays, like the cool blue moonlight, showed it. In the restaurant on Columbus Avenue, she'd picked up her fork, tipped it into the macerated cake. Okay, she said quietly to Ben, okay. But then her bleeding, spotting here and there, not calendared as menstrual bleeding is when you're on the pill, and she'd stopped taking it a month ago. Happily, this new life she'd embarked on deserved a new unalloyed self, and now they were all here in her parents' house, all waiting to wish Ben and her the most heartfelt good wishes for an excellent marriage life, marriage and life. Ben was winking at her across the damn dogs, his eyes happy and at once resigned. These damn dogs would never accept him, but she had. He could live with that. But there was such a thing as chemistry, and the pill had interrupted it. Ovulation, of course, but some other interruption or shield, too. And now her sense of smell was back, and certain men smelled very strongly to her, unpleasantly, which would be fine if one of those men weren't the man she was engaged to be married to. Whatever the mechanism, whatever the science, her body was saying no, and perhaps her mind was, too. But where the rational resided in all of this, she did not know. She would normally equate the science with the rational. But if she said to her gynecologist, since I've stopped taking the pill, I can't stand to be in the same room with my fiancé, she didn't think he'd respond very well, the rationalist, the scientist. And he was already too good at assigning the psychological, the psychiatric. And yet there was some science here, too, that had caused this. The palm reader or fortune teller would nod her large, wise head and say, of course, of course you cannot marry him. Your body is telling you this. She would lift her hands, rings on all the fingers, a charlatan in every detail, and she would say, listen to your body, listen to your heart. Up until a month ago, their lovemaking had been quiet, charged, that too a homecoming, an immediate ease, and Ben had been funny too. Hey, great, with a delicate knee, I'm always on top, way I like it. He joked as he turned her over onto his chest, and her compact, muscled body softened across him, and she seemed to resolve deep down into his chest. Her face rested within that crevice between clavicle and chin, and he smelled so good to her, and it was fine, lovely, comfort beyond measure, even his thigh a pillow to her bad knee. And then, a month ago, it wasn't fine, and she thought she was sick, the flu, or maybe just jitters, all Ben's fault, all the visibility of announcements, and then this engagement party, and her desire to operate as a gear amid many gears, somehow put aside. But she was being unfair, wildly unfair. She had, assi- she had signed on for all of this, happily, even giddily, Ben's joy in caring for her deepening every day. She, his reason for work. She, and now this proposed life together, this better reason for his working so hard. And she had barely seen Ben in the last month, his billable hours near humanly impossible. I'm the one sane kid on a playground full of bullies, he said, of working with partners. But she had been grateful he was gone. The apartment they now shared, quiet, smelling of flowers and Japanese incense, the air off the the bay if she opened the windows. 
Teddy and Victoria accompanied her out into the courtyard, low, thick-bodied sentries at her side, and she found it interesting that people did not stop her as they stopped Ben or her parents, that she walked through her own engagement party barely a distinct presence. Corps de ballet, she thought, something she'd been good at, being an attendant, being background, ensemble support, atmosphere, a swan amid swans on a lake, a spirit amid spirits in a forest. She saw people looking, commenting, even smiling, but no one approached her or stopped her. They smelled her doubt, she thought. They smelled that this proposed marriage might not happen. Engaged but not committed. Could she bring herself to stand outside the expectations and call this production off? Maybe only Teddy and Victoria could understand, or not understand, but... And she stumbled about in her mind, looking for the word or phrase. Maybe only Teddy and Victoria could truly know. It was instinct, and they could sense the smells were all awry. Bougainvilliers grew in the courtyard, the thick old canes rising against the high stone walls. She had grown up in this house, in this garden. She had used the low brick wall around the roses as a bar for exercises, port-de-bras. She had practiced pas de bourree and padsha across these flagstones. The courtyard and its plantings looked like the past to her, but now they seemed like a very distant past. A senescence in the old canes and in the moss so deeply comfortable going about its greening. She knelt down to feed Teddy and Victoria each a cheese puff, but their rich, avid faces were intent on their plans. They were working dogs, herders. They knew how to contain the herd, not to be a part of it. The dogs smelled good to her, familiar, their silky coats recently bathed. They paid her no mind. She saw the intricate fretwork of her dress against the flagstones, the cheese puffs in her outstretched hands, untouched. She stood up, her knee edgy, mean. She projected herself into middle age, unmarried, alone, walking through a dog shelter. She would be wanting companionship, a dog, someone to love and to love her. But none of the dogs even looked up at her through their metal cages, and none moved toward her in the open enclosures or wagged their tails. She hunkered down. She held her hand out. She spoke to the dogs with inflection, with that excited lilt of the voice. She was good with dogs. Dogs loved her. But the Norwich Terrier mix looked elsewhere. The Labrador's tail remained still. The officious, kindly women who ran the shelter would say that perhaps she should come back. They didn't feel any of these dogs were right for her, and yet they would have walked her purposefully to a black dog curled up and sleeping on a striped pad. Seven years old, but such a sweet dog. And they'd already done the implants, already replaced her missing teeth. She has years in her yet, but the old spaniel would not raise her head. We need to see that a dog responds to you, they would then say, walking her out. But they wouldn't be saying it, of course. They wouldn't need to say it. She would have had her time, and it was past. Thank you.